I was looking at the passage this week, and I got excited not just to be back together with you guys, which that's the main reason, but also because when I was looking at the, this passage in 1 Peter 4, as Rachel just read, 7 through 11, the passage is so beautiful, but it's really challenging. And when you first look at it, it says, serve, love, be hospitable, pray for the glory of God. And it seems pretty straightforward, right? Okay, sounds good. We need to work at loving, praying, being hospitable, serving according to our gifts. This is great. But when you kind of process it a little more, I started just really thinking about these things this week. And I said, man, that is actually really difficult especially in our cultural climate, right? We live in a very isolated culture. We, we herald individualism. We herald consumerism. We herald making all decisions for yourself. You have the freedom to decide what you want to decide. And so the idea of, of really loving, as scripture defines it, really praying, surrendering control, really being hospitable, really serving, is not normal, because we settle for cheap love, right? We, we love people that are like us, uh, people that it's easy to love. We're hospitable and we serve when it's convenient, when it fits in our schedule. We pray sometimes, mostly in crisis. Maybe you don't resonate with that. Maybe you're totally great at all those things, but that hits me. And I remember watching a movie back in 2006, and it's one of those movies, I don't know if you, there's some movies that you watch and you can't ever forget the movie. It's called God Grew Tired of Us. Have any of you seen this movie? A few of you? Okay. It's a movie about, it's a documentary about Sudanese refugees that are taken for asylum from Kenya in a refugee camp, and they're taken to America. They've never been out of Sudan or, or Kenya. They're taken over to America, and it's a documentary on their life. And it follows as they begin to adopt and begin to assimilate into American culture and all the things that they're confused about. One of, the, one of the greatest quotes in the very beginning of the film, they ask one of the boys, they're young boys, and they ask one of the boys, you know, what do you think about electricity? He's like, well, I've, I've never seen electricity. I think it's going to be really hard for me to learn how to use. There's no concept. So they come here to America and they begin to seek to assimilate. And I want to share you a clip that's the clip that stuck with me. It's been in my head for the last 10 years. After this one boy has been in the States for a year. And he begins to talk a little bit about how he observes our culture. And it resonates a little bit with what Peter is talking about tonight. So take a look at this clip and see what he says. Daniel works in downtown Pittsburgh processing checks at Mellon Bank. He earns $6.50 an hour. It's difficult here in America. Everybody go to work. You have different schedule. You have different work. No time even for a family to be together. Why is it tough like that? So I usually go home late at night, like here. I usually start work at 4 and finish at uh, 12, then take bus at 12.15. But sometimes you don't miss the bus like I miss it today. So I may wait until 1 o'clock. I reach home at 2 and wake up in the morning time at 7, you know, that's sad. Everything is different. Everything is different. 
it's kind of irritating because people know you're from Africa. They say, oh, are you from Africa? Yes. Some people, they say, like, do you live in the forest? Nobody's born in the forest. You can't live in the forest. You have to live in a house. In the United States, people are not friendly. You can find somebody walking in the street by himself, you know, don't even talk, you know. You cannot go to the house of somebody whom you don't know, though you are all Americans. You call the police, why this guy come to my house and I don't know him. But in Sudan, they can ask you, have you got lost? Are you new to this place? They can ask you. You say, I'm new to this place, they can show you where you are. You can even talk with them. It is important we ask them, how do people work in this area? How do people feel when you ask somebody, now can you show me a way? How do you feel, you know? That's difficult, you cannot even ask him because these are different people. Huh? That's really difficult, I don't know. How are we going to be acquainted with this life? Really? It's a great change, actually. Merchants in Daniel and Panther's neighborhood. That uh, one line that he says at the end is one that always sticks with me. It's a great shame, actually. He begins so that, that they're processing all of these things. And the thing, the theme that keeps running through this is the lack of friendliness, the lack of openness. Um, later it talks about how uh, they were actually told that they weren't allowed to hang out in groups of more than two because people were feeling threatened by them. So they had to break down in smaller groups. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking about what Peter says here about the idea of, of praying and loving earnestly and showing hospitality and serving. And man, it's a struggle for us. I know it's a struggle for me because we isolate ourselves, right? In our bubble and our, in our little groups where it's comfortable and it's convenient. And here's what Peter says. Peter says that the gospel, and this is what we're gonna see tonight. The gospel gives us guidance. It gives us fuel. It gives us perspective as we focus on the gospel, as we see the spirit supply strength to be different, to be different than everybody else. Because our culture settles for cheap love, we settle for division, we settle for isolation. And Peter is saying to the church, the gospel, when you really look at it, for those of you of faith, it will cause you to be different. You will look different, you will desire to be different, you will seek to love people that are not like you and be hospitable and charitable and serve and use your gifts. So my prayer is tonight that we would see that. And if you're here tonight and you're kind of questioning and you're still trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, thank you for coming. We want you to be here. We love that you're here and you're part of our community. And my prayer is that you would see tonight the beauty of who God is and his goodness to us and what it looks like when somebody has seen the gospel and when they live it out, how beautiful of a life that is as well. So let's jump in. Here's what it says in the very first verse. Look at verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you were doing your personal worship through this week and you're preparing the passage as we do as a church and you're working it through, the first thing you saw was the end of all things is at hand. You're like, whoa, what? Because you're reading that and you're like, depending on your theological persuasion, depending on how you look at the end times or maybe some things you've heard before, you're like, man, do I need to start calculating and categorizing? Because I'm looking at current events, I'm looking at what's happening in the world and it seems like maybe the end of all things is at hand. So you start to get a little anxious, right? Start to get a little nervous. 
And I think that's something that a lot of us feel. I think that's, that, that is a cultural current that many of us feel at the end of all things is at hand. And here's why. The prevailing genre in novels, movies, and TV is what? What is it? Apocalyptic, right? Apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic. I just thought of a few things off the top of my head. Here are the big things I right now. Walking Dead, The 100, Hunger Games, Book of Eli, The Road, Mad Max, The Last Ship, Maze Runner. You're probably like, you didn't name my favorite show, right? There's so many different post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic movies and books and TV shows, which says something. It says that the creatives, those that are writing the stories and directing the films are sensing something, Right? They feel like, man, is the end of all things, is that at hand? And then uh, those of us that are consuming it, we're sensing something. I want to give you some good news. Here's the good news. The good news is Peter is not talking about human elements here. He's not talking about kings and kingdoms. He, you, know, you don't have to be worried. You don't have to get your bug out bag or your go bag ready after church. Get your food storage ready. If you do that, great for you. You don't have to do that, okay? He's not talking about that. He's talking about redemptive history. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the end of all things is at hand, meaning everything in the scope of redemptive history besides Jesus' return has taken place. Creation, the fall of man, the call of Abraham, the exodus, the establishment of the, of the, the, the Israel kingdom, the exile, the birth of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the imparting of the Holy Spirit to the church. All of these things are at hand. We are living where the kingdom of God is at hand at the end of all things and the only thing left is Jesus' return. And so he says, in light of that, right, be sober-minded, think clearly, be self-controlled. Peter consistently in this letter is saying, it matters how you think, what you set your mind on. Do you set your mind on truth, or do you set your mind on lies, on things that are false? And he's saying, be sober-minded, be clear in the way that you think. He's looking at, remember, a a church that is dispersed all over Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They're suffering great persecution. They're suffering great turmoil. There's so much upheaval happening. And he looks at them, and he's saying these type of things. Endure, hold fast, set your mind on truth, be self-controlled, sober-minded, think clearly, because it's really easy to be different. Here's, here's the norm, right? I, maybe you resonate with this. Maybe you've felt this way. In the midst of suffering and injustice, in the midst of turmoil, whether it's political or social, what is the normal reaction? Anger, division, clouded judgment, an oversaturation of emotions to where you're, you're not acting, you're not thinking clearly, you're not being sober-minded. And he says, Peter, be different than that. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, think clearly, the end of all things is at hand, be sober-minded, and then he says, pray. Because prayer is not normal, and, and this, this is challenging for me, and I'm gonna be honest. Prayer is submission. It takes submission, Right? It means I'm going to relinquish control and I'm going to look to God and say, God, you are actually the one that's in control. And I'm going to come to you acknowledging that, bringing requests, praying for others, bringing all of the emotions and the anger and the injustice that I feel like is taking place. I'm gonna bring it to you because that's the right response. And for someone like me that struggles with self-reliance, that is cutting 
Because prayer takes submission. It's not our normal go-to, right? In the midst of these things, suffering and turmoil and upheaval, the natural human tendency is to control it, to fix it, to figure out how we are going to take this situation and make it better. That is what we typically do. And Peter is saying here, be different. And he moves into the next point. He says, here's, here's what it looks like to be different. He says, above all, in verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So he says, as you begin to think clearly, as you begin to be self-controlled, as you begin to pray intelligently with a clear mind, surrendering your self-reliance and your need to control and giving it over to God, you should begin to love, above all love. And he says love earnestly, meaning relentlessly love, continually love. Love people that you don't want to love. It is enduring. It is without condition. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, man, that is something that is so missing right now. I don't know if you agree with me. I, I I think it's right. I think right now, the idea of enduring love is lost. Because Peter says that the result of enduring love will be a covering of a multitude of sins. See, the problem is when there's a lack of real love, enduring, relentless love for people that are different, the result is skepticism, misunderstanding, not giving people the, the, the benefit of the doubt, a lack of listening. That is what's taking place, right? Nobody listens to each other anymore. Because there's no love. I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking, when's the last time I've watched an interview on the TV or I've listened to an interview where I've heard somebody say, hmm, that's a really good point. Have you heard that? Typically what it is, you're watching it on TV, right? You're seeing a debate about different kind of tensions and different kind of stuff is happening in our culture. And, and you're looking at somebody and you can almost see in their face. They're just waiting to say what they want to say. There's no listening, right? It's like, when are you done? So now I can give you my side of the coin and I can paint that picture for you. There's no listening. There's no love. None of that is happening. And so I was sitting there thinking about this this week. Is when, when love is lost, there, there's no ability for unity. There's no ability for people and communities and ethnicities and cultures to come together because all there is is division and misunderstanding and skepticism and looking at people as suspicious. That's what happens. If you're up to date on what happened in North Miami this last week, right? It was all over the news. Uh, A black man who's a caregiver is sitting in the street and he is caring for a patient, an autistic child who's upset and he's playing with a fire truck. And the police get called to come out because they hear um, someone calls 911 and says there's somebody that's acting a little bit out of their mind. They're acting crazy and they seem to be wielding a gun. So the police come and uh, there's kind of this standoff situation and the man has his hands up and he's talking to the cops. He's trying to explain who he is and what the situation is and what's taking place. And the caregiver gets shot. And... The guy runs over. Thank God the caregiver lived. And and here's what struck me the most. The man that's been shot looks at the police officer and he says, and other officers ask the same question, why did you shoot me? And he says, I don't know. He says, I don't know. 
And then later he goes on to, to give this account and he says, here was the, the man that discharged his weapon. He said, I didn't mean to shoot the caregiver. I meant to shoot the other man, but I missed because I thought the other man was posing a threat. See, see what's happening, right, is the police department is suspicious and they're fearful because of things that they experience and especially the black community, feels like they are not treated with respect and with dignity, like they are human beings, or they're dealt with suspiciously. And this is being perpetuated. See, see, the response should have been this. If there was love, if there was people coming together and listening to each other and caring for one another and really loving each other, here's the response. Why did you shoot me? I don't know, but I shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. You don't hear that. You're not going to hear that. Sadly, because there is not love. There is no love for people that are different from you. There is division. There is misunderstanding. There was another story that came out this week in NPR, and it went viral as well. And the reason it went viral is because it's a story about love. Where in Wichita, Kansas, the the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement and the leader, the sheriff of the police department, decided that they were going to come together and have a cookout. And they were going to have food and music and singing and dancing. And they were going to play basketball together. And then the police department was going to open, hold a forum where the whole community could come together and voice their frustration, voice how they feel, voice how they feel that they're treated. And the police department would be able to do the same. Share about how they feel, their perspective. There was a woman there that she said, it was one of the most incredible events I've ever been to because my son's were able to see the police officers as human beings and the police officers were able to see my sons as children. See, why is that so, why why does that flood our emotions so much? Because it's so rare. You don't expect that to happen, right? It's the only story that we've heard so far of people, the, the local police department or the police department and Black Lives Matter group actually coming together Loving one another. See, that, that, that's what generated that. It was a desire by the leadership of the Black Lives Matter movement and the police department to say, hey, look, what if we actually loved each other? What if we actually listened to each other? What if we actually came together and stopped looking at each other suspiciously with misunderstanding and actually listened, had conversations? What would be the result of that? And it's happening there, and it's, it, it's powerful. But see, that's not what we expect, right? We're, we're told and we're forced in some sense to take sides, right? You're either pro hashtag Black Lives Matter or you're pro All Lives Matter. You're Republican or you're Democrat. You're pro-war, you're anti-war. You are pro Taylor Swift or you're pro Kanye and Kim. You're pro Pokemon Go or you're anti-Pokemon Go, right? It, it, everything is divided, Isn't that right? Everything is divided. This is my camp. This is my side. This is not my camp. And this is not my side. This is right. This is wrong. I am right. You are wrong. You are a friend. You are an enemy. This this is our cultural climate. And it's so easy to fall into that. I know it's so easy to fall into that. And Peter is saying, love enduringly. Above all love. Because when love takes place, it covers a multitude of sins. Because when there is no love, even the smallest sin is magnified. Because love exists in the middle space, right? To bridge together people and relationships. It can take brokenness and bring life and renewal and transformation. But 
We don't have that. Because we think that there's love, but it's cheap love. As I mentioned earlier, it's cheap love because the people that we love, if we're honest, are people like us. They're people that it's easy to love because we like them. And Peter says love enduringly. And he says as well that in this letter, the intention is that you love here in this room, in your church community, and then it pours out. That you begin to love in this space You begin to practice that enduring, persistent, gospel type of love here, and it pours out, right? What what does the gospel teach us, the type of love? Because this is the type of love that Peter is speaking of, enduring love. Love for somebody who is your enemy. God looked at us when we were rebellious, and we were far from him, and we were sinners, and we wanted nothing to do with him whatsoever, and he said, I love you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to sacrifice my son for you. I'm going to pay the penalty that you deserve. I'm going to love you. See, Peter says love enduringly, and it's not just love the people that it's easy to love. It's like, oh, I, need to, I need to love my best friend a little bit more. It's love the people that are, it's hard to love. It's loving the people that have wronged you, the people that you have wronged, the people that have hurt you. Loving those people that, if you're honest, you would kind of consider an enemy. Or those people that when you love them, you know that they're going to kind of demand more, right? (laughs) They're going to want more and more of your time and attention. Peter says love enduringly because what happens in that space is it can cover a multitude of sins. And see, this is something that our culture doesn't see and is craving. And it's not just because where is the love is getting a remix, which it is, with Snoop Dogg, by the way. I just saw that this week. So Peter looks at us and he says, pray, relinquish control, and begin to actually love. Love enduringly because it covers a multitude of sins. And then he says in the next verse, he looks at hospitality and he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's, this is an interesting word because hospitality is one of those things, if you've been in the church for a little bit, you assume that hospitality is a gift that only a few people have, right? You're sitting there and you're like, hey, well, this, is, this is a great verse for me because I love to open my home. I'm a very warm personality. I make great pies. I make great food. I'm, I'm hospital. I have the gift of hospitality. So I finally got a verse that I'm capable of doing. This is great. And then maybe on the other side, you're like, man, I'm not hospital at all. I hate making food for people. I don't like opening my home I don't think I'm a very warm person. I don't know how I'm going to become more warm. Warm, So maybe this verse is just not for me. See, there, there is a gift, right, on some level of hospitality of being warm and opening. And, and you know, if you want to bake me a pie, I would love that. That would be great. Um, th- that's a gift that is necessary. But Peter is not looking at it in that way. Peter is saying hospitality in terms of giving, in terms of charity. See, the practical expression of love is hospitality. It is giving for somebody else that's in need. And so it's maybe what? Giving time, giving talent, giving treasure over to somebody else. It is opening up those things and giving it to somebody else. And Peter is not looking at just a few of us in here that have that specific gift of hospitality. He's saying the entirety of us, all of us of faith that have come to see the God that has given everything for us. We should be people that pray, that love enduringly above all, and we're hospitable, we're charitable with the things that we've received. Time, talent, treasure, those things that we hold very dear, that are costly to give over, we are called to give them. We are called to show that 
without grumbling because it's really easy to grumble when somebody's demanding too much of your time or when you have to give financially or when you, your schedule gets messed up a little bit. It's easy to grumble. He says, give without grumbling. In the last verse here on verse 10, before we close at the end, he says, as each has received a gift, so he talks about serving here, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And if you were reading this before, you thought, he says, as each has received a gift. Well, that's not very, I kind of want more than one gift. I mean, do we only, do all of us only have one gift? Or I thought there were multiple gifts, but he says a gift. See, here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, if you are here of faith, if you come to see God for who he is and Jesus for who he is, you've received a gift. And that gift is singular, and that gift is a person. It's the Holy Spirit who has transformed you, who has made your desires new, who has made you see things differently to where even previously as you're looking at loving enduringly, you're looking at showing hospitality, you're looking at prayer, and you're like, wow, the, you know, these are things that I need to begin processing and thinking about. You've received a gift, the Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit, this gift has given varied gifts of grace that you are to use to serve one another. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I thought to myself, what are the varied gifts of grace that I've received? Because I know that I've been graciously given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has brought with him gifts because God didn't just stop there. He didn't just give the Holy Spirit and then say, see you later. The Holy Spirit, who is God, part of the Godhead, he comes and he brings with him gifts that have been given to me uniquely. So what are the gifts and then am I using them? Those are the two questions because he talks about being a steward, right? He says you need to be a good steward of the gifts that you've received to serve one another. And being a steward, a good steward, is when you manage somebody else's resources well. Being a good steward is managing somebody else's resources well. So what is Peter saying? You have been given something, gifts that were not yours, They came because the Holy Spirit brought them to you and you are to manage them well. And you are to use them to serve other people. So I was thinking about this and if you're on our email list, uh, we send out two emails a week, the announcement email in the middle of the week and then we do a worship primer uh, email that goes out on Saturday to help prepare you for tonight. And I talked about on that email um, the idea of what it looks like to discover uh, your spiritual gifts. And I'm not gonna rehash the whole email but if you don't receive our emails you can fill out the little connection card and put it in the offering basket um, and I can, I can send you the email and get you up to date with that. But I was thinking about it this week and processing how might we as a church begin to discover so that we may be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us? Because Peter's intention is that we would do this together in community, right? That we begin to pray together, to love enduringly, to show hospitality, and to serve one another according to our gifts. So how might we together discover what our gifts are? And not this week because we're off, because we're doing the Touching Miami with Love um, cookout on Wednesday, but the following week in our community groups, we're going to work through this, uh, these six questions together. Um, So if you're in a community group, you can look forward to that. But here's what it says. Um, Here are the six questions. First, figure out what is lacking in the church. Look at the church and survey as a, as a member, as a part of this church, what's lacking? And then pray. And pray and ask the Holy Spirit who supplies the strength and who has given the gifts if you may be led to meet a need. 
Then you make your desire known to love and to give and to serve in an area, and you plug in. You get involved. And then here, here comes the part where you begin to decipher what your gifts are. You begin to think about what you enjoy doing because God has given them to you to serve so that you might uh, find joy in that. But you can't stop there. That's really important. You have to go to godly counsel. You can talk to me. You can talk to some of our deacons or other team leaders or a good friend or a spouse and ask them, what gifts do you see in me? Is there something I'm missing? Are there things that I'm strong in that I, I continue to show? Or, and this is a really important part because you may not believe this, but for most of my life up until when I was about 19 years old, I was afraid of public speaking. Now when I see a microphone, I run to it. But I, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like public speaking. I was nervous. And a mentor came to me. He said, I, I really think you may have the gift of speaking in public. And I was like, come on, no way. He's like, I want you to preach a sermon. I'm like, <laughs> like zero to 100. Like, okay. I'm so grateful that the Lord worked in him to, to bring that to my mind so that I could see a gift that the Spirit has given me. So you have to go to godly counsel to help begin to discover these things. And lastly, you begin to use your gifts. Because that's the intention that Peter is saying. He's saying that in this passage, he's looking at the church scattered all throughout Asia Minor, suffering persecution, suffering turmoil. They're confused, they're frustrated. And he's saying, listen, you begin to practice these things here in the church. You begin to pray together. You love one another enduringly. People that are different from you, people that are hard to love, just like God has loved you, gospel love, then you show hospitality. You're open with all the things that you've received and you begin to discover the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you and you begin to use them to serve one another. And that is his intention. And it's funny because you may think about, how does that work? Because it seems like that's pretty straightforward. Like it seems like a pretty safe space. Most of us, we like each other. Most of you, like most of each other, you know? And it's like, well, that's easy to do, right? It's easy to, to begin to pray together and to love one another and to show hospitality and to serve one another here in this place. It's more difficult out there, right? I think it's actually the opposite because it's very easy to serve and to love, to show hospitality when it's an occasion, right? It, it may be easy for us to go on Wednesday and to serve and to show hospitality and to love, and we should do that but it's not going to demand a lot from you. It's three hours. You may have to leave work early, but it's three hours. You most likely won't see many of those people ever again. But see, when you come here, you're going to see these people and others every week and often and multiple times throughout the week. And here's the thing that happens when you begin to serve on a regular basis with people you consistently see, there's always unending need they demand a lot, and it could become really tiresome because it can be hard to love each other. It can be hard to be hospitable without grumbling. It can be hard to serve. It can be hard to pray. But he, he, Peter's saying you, you have to start here because as you begin to start here, it will pour out into the city, into your work, I've been thinking now that I'm a new dad, I've been thinking about Roman, and I've been thinking, how, how, how am I going to raise Roman to be the man that God has called him to be? 
Well, I know I need to teach him God's word. I need to teach him truth. I need to pray with and for him. I need to create an environment where he sees me living out the gospel, believing in the gospel. He needs to see me be a man that is a man of prayer and loving enduringly and showing hospitality and serving according to my gifts. And then I need to look at him and ask him and, and challenge and work with him that he would begin doing those things where? In the family, right? I, I want to see Roman begin to pray and to love and to show hospitality and to serve in our family. Because once he begins to do that in our family, it will begin to pour out. And that's exactly Peter's intention. You begin to pray and to love and to serve and to show hospitality in the family, in the family of God together, and then it begins to pour out into your work, into the city, into your condo, into your neighborhood. It begins to pour out. And here's the thing. You're, you may be sitting there thinking, this sounds awesome, Carter, but this is a pipe dream. Like, we, I mean, I've heard this. I've been in church for a little bit, you know. We're going to love enduringly. We're going to pray. We're going to show hospitality. It's not going to happen. Because here's why. We think about change and growth just like, everybody's, like everybody else, right? Peter's theme running through this letter is be different, church. Be different. And here's how we think of change and growth. I mean, I just got to try harder. I just got to really fix those things in me, right? I got to pull myself up on my bootstraps. And we're just, you know, we're all just going to work really hard, guys. And we're going to work really hard at praying together and loving and being hospitable and serving. And that doesn't work. Because that's how we think about change. That's how we think about growth. We think it's up to us. It's up to our strength to make it happen. And Peter, thankfully, gives us gospel perspective here at the end where he says this at the very end section. He tells us the strength that we have. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves, how? By the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, when you speak, when you serve, how and by what strength does that happen? By the strength that God supplies. In order that God, through Jesus Christ, might receive the glory. See, our go-to is not that. Our go-to is, I need to fix these things. I need to work harder. I need to try more. I need to begin, by my own strength, to pray more, to love enduringly, to be hospitable, to serve and use my gifts and it doesn't work. It may last for a week, and it will fade. And Peter gives us the reminder, and he says, you need to focus on who God is and the strength that he supplies you. Because guess what? When you begin to do these things in your own strength, who are you bringing glory to? It's not to God. You're bringing glory to yourself, Man, I'm, just, I'm praying more, I'm loving people, I'm showing hospitality, I'm serving, I figured out some gifts and I'm using them now. You begin to feel really good about yourself. And Peter says it's, it's not about bringing glory to yourself. So if it's not about bringing glory to yourself, it's actually about bringing glory to God, then God has to be the one to supply the strength. 
because it's for his glory and he's in control of it. Because prayer in your own strength is just words. Love in your own strength is just selfishness. Hospitality in your own strength is just moralism and serving in your own strength is just therapeutic so you can feel good about yourself. And Peter says, we do not do anything in our own strength. It is only by the strength that God has supplied us because he's shown us love. He's shown us hospitality. He's shown us what service looks like. He has prayed for us. Think about what the gospel tells you and me. God looked at us when we were sinners and when we were so far apart from him, we wanted nothing to do with him. And he came and he prayed for us. He loved us enduringly. He showed us hospitality and gave everything away, even his life. And he served us. He says, Peter, run to that strength. That is the strength that will supply change and growth so that you begin practicing those things in the family of God so it may pour out to the city so that they may come to see what? Not how great you are and how great our church is, how much we love each other, but really they may come to see God. They can come to see the gospel because we're supplied by that strength that we may be people that run to the well that is full and overflowing with strength and that is God. And then we might bring people to come to see the well. Not how great we are, but how great he is. That's Peter's intention. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have brought grace and love, forgiveness, to us. You have been merciful and you have been good. Lord, you have loved us when we were far away. You have been hospitable. You have prayed for us. You have served us. Lord, as as we take in this text, knowing that we live in a culture that these things are abnormal, they are foreign, knowing that you have called us to live out the gospel by being people that pray and love each other, and show hospitality without grumbling and serve according to our gifts. May we never think for a moment that is up to us to supply the strength to do that, but it is up to you because you give us the strength. You have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit and he is living and he is active in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells and lives in us. May we look to you, may we ask you for strength, so that you might bring about growth and change for your glory, not for our own. May we be known as a people, as a church, as a community that raises up your good news and your gospel and your love and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.